Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. And I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim is a GP, clinical director at SkinViva and SkinViva Training. And Dr. Adam is a trainer at SkinViva Training and an aesthetic doctor for SkinViva. So Tim, it's nice to be back on the podcast. It's been a few weeks. Thank you. Yes, good to have you back. You've had a nice long trip to uh, Mauritius. Yes. Yeah. Don't ask me if it was relaxing. I have an 18-month-old. But Tim, I thought it would be nice to uh, get your views on the anatomy course that we ran this weekend. Yeah, so this was our the first uh, masterclass that we've done with cadaver specimens. And um, yeah, it was a great success. We've been building up to a long time. We had a, a great group of people. Um, it was, I, I actually think it was it was better than I thought, thought it was going to be for a couple of reasons. First thing is the university is amazing. Like that is not how the labs used to look Agreed. when I was at university. Yeah, It looks more like an operating theater, except there are obviously eight, uh, eight different tables. Um, but fantastic, amazing audiovisual stuff that, to work with it. Um, there was different environment. Room. You know, these environments can easily go lean on being spooky. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like that at all. Yeah, um, So, you know, those old kind of 60s buildings with jars of scary stuff in Which them. is what we trained in. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, like and now it's very clean and swish and mm. organized. And, and it changes the vibe a lot. A lot of people were worried that they w- were not going to cope with the situation. Yeah because it's awkward it's difficult with them um, with their bodies but we, every single person got was 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 fine basically and and most people were more involved than they thought they wanted to be when they first came in yeah. including our own dr felicity who did an amazing job um initially wasn't thinking maybe i'll just watch and then she loved it and was very much stuck in and, and enjoyed it and really contributed a lot to the others so yeah so just to set the scene for people it was uh Obviously, you get your gown on and your overshoes, but then you go into a room and there was, is it eight or six cadavers? No, there's six, six on this Okay, occasion. so six cadavers that obviously people have donated um, for medical science and there's HD screens above everyone. So then you have a um, uh, anatomy demonstrator who is, it was a plastic surgeon, wasn't it? And he was showing us all the different layers and how to dissect. So we could all see that clearly on, on all the screens around the room, which was great. Good use of the technology. Um, and then we were, then we had our own specimens, obviously, to to yeah. dissect, which was which was great. We were just talking about this to actually discover some of the blood vessels. It's it's weirdly sort of exciting. Yeah, I think that's the key word actually that makes it a different kind of learning experience to anything else. Which is there's there's a journey of exploration. You're genuinely exploring, and then you discover something, and it goes into your head like nothing else because you you've gone on that that quest and then you've got the answer and yeah. that, for me that's the most amazing kind of learning and you need to have that background level of anatomy i think if you knew, knew nothing you wouldn't get anything out of the day but obviously everyone there already had a, a basic level at least of, of anatomy and i think that's the other thing which we feedback we got back from our clinical team which was that it was amazing just like um feeling your not your knowledge is correct so it's yeah. not you're not you're not it's not always about discovering something you didn't know there's an element of it should be here. I'm going to go looking for it, and damn it, there it is. And then mm. you feel like, yes, I know my stuff, and you feel more confident um, to, to to teach that and to deliver it for your own patients. So yeah, absolutely. But it's a real privilege to attend. And um, are, you, are you running any more of these courses? Um, yes, we'll be doing two two next year in June. It's the eighth and the ninth of June. Um, the next Cadaver Masterclass, which is on our Skin Viva Training website. Okay, great. Uh, so I thought we could continue. Um, it may be the last in the R series of Botox complications, but we're still having some questions come in. So um, how do you feel about answering some more, yes, more of these, Tim? Some good questions come through. Good. 
Okay, so we have a question from Sophie who has asked about, well, she said management stroke prevention of mid-phase complications such as smile asymmetry and perioral droop. I mean, the first thing I'd say about that is from experience, the complications you get from lower face Botox, mid, mid to lower face Botox are definitely higher than, than the upper face. Have you yeah. found the same? Um, yes, I think they are. I mean, there's a couple of reasons for it. One is you're, you, you tend to be treating smaller muscles that are close to other muscles that you don't want to treat. Yeah. Um, as a general principle, that's, that's one of the problems. They also, um, it's functional. So it's not the same as, as treating, the, if you think about it, all of, all the, virtually all the muscles in your upper face are purely for expression, whereas in, in the lower face, they're also for other things like speaking, eating, okay. um, uh, speaking in particular is, is an issue, but also mm-hmm. um, that you're more likely to cause asymmetry in the, in the lower face because of the, the size of the muscles and, and it's your smile often that gets affected and an asymmetrical smile is extremely obvious. Yeah. Um, even a small asymmetry people notice. Well, I guess um, starting from mid-face, one of the things that we could address is um, the the lower um, crow's feet injection that we do. So you've always taught me here to be a bit more superficial and to maybe do a lower dose because what, what muscle are we trying to avoid to cause a complication here? Do so we- di- directly underneath the most inferior lateral part of orbicularis oculi is the origin of the, zy- of the zygomatic muscle. Mm. It's not directly underneath. There's a nice thick layer of fat too. But if you're a a thin person and you give someone a deep injection um, through orbicularis oculi which often beginners do yeah. um, then you're going to cause a, a relaxation of the, the zygomaticus major so that would be a smile asymmetry yeah for that wouldn't cheek ptosis um, and a p- cheek ptosis at its worst mm-hmm. uh, and then asymmetry to the smile might be a more subtle still very noticeable side effect okay sticking with the mid face the other thing i can think of is when we do the bunny lines so the the nasalis muscle um, if you go too lateral with that, I'm assuming you could hit the, uh, it's the levator lay by a leak. Yeah. Nasi. Yeah. It's one of those muscles you, you do that, you do your studying, uh, from a textbook and you don't know how you're saying this and then yes. you say it out loud in a room. And I don't know hope, if that was correct. I hope you've got it right. I, yeah. I say levator lay by elect nasi. Okay. I've heard people call it elequinasi. Okay. Ele- anyway. Potato, potato. Yep. Cadaver, cadaver. <laughs> so, bath and bath. So that would cause that would also cause smile asymmetry because that is something that um, helps the upper lip to elevate. Yes. So if you um, t- typically, well, you could cause a, a symmetrical drop of your lower of your top lip. That's kind of what you're supposed to, trying to do with a gummy smile, but you're not trying to do it when you're doing bunny lines. Hmm. And for me, the mindset is 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 to be thinking about bunny lines as almost as if they're part of the medial part of orbicularis oculi rather than nasalis and and those other elevators of, of the lip okay so um that way you you do something similar which is you're you're relaxing the superficial muscle it's much safer you've got a, a few layers of other tissue to block the toxin from reaching the, the lip elevators um and the other thing is you're not necessarily trying to paralyze that area completely like we want to we want to make sure that the resting tone doesn't increase as a result of your lateral injections and then you get that hyper hyperactive um, bunny lines after a Botox. It's a Botox sign, isn't it? You see mm-hmm. people with lines that, that don't look natural. Yeah. So we're trying to balance the resting tone rather than completely relax that muscle. Because if you completely relax it, you end up just shifting the target down because nasalis still works and, and the, the line still moves. So 
I never tell a patient I'm aiming for complete relaxation. I say we're trying to balance the tone. What's your average dose that you use for bunny lines? Um, two units each two side. Units. Okay. And when you said treat it more like the the uh, medial orbicularis, are you talking about the position of where you actually inject, or do you mean the amounts and the depth? Um, it's like, kind of it's it's sort of both. Um, it's the you're you're superficial and you tend to be. I, w I wouldn't be going too inferior down the nose, for example. Yeah. It's um, close to the medial canthus, okay. and it's um, and it's a lo low dose and it's superficial. Okay. Fine. There's probably quite a lot of other uh, mid-face ones we could talk about, such as masseter, but I think let's move on to the more common ones where you do get side effects, such as the um, downturn mouth treatment. So that's when we're trying to target the DAO. Yeah. Well, actually, I, th I think probably just above that is when you're purposely trying to lower the top lip for a gummy smile. Oh, yes, of course. That, that's particularly, um, it's easy to get it slightly different. And that's complex. I mean, you are, you are messing with, there are a lot more muscles that elevate the lip other than the levator labii like nasi. So yeah. they're all contributing. Mm. And also, it's hard to find that spot accurately. You can just be three millimeters to the left of it, and you'll have one side that's slightly stronger than the other. Mm. Um, the other problem, which which anyone who treats this will know, is it's quite easy to slightly overdo it, and then they and then they have you elongate the philtrum, and yeah. they have a smile that lifts a lot laterally, but not in the middle. It's kind of a goofy smile. Yeah, I have had a few clients that have not necessarily liked the, the result so much. So they, they agree that it's helped the gummy smile, but it, it's the way mm. it's changed it. So maybe that's it. I've never really thought about what it is. That's something something I noticed as well right at the beginning, which is that the, you, can, you can take a picture of them and be so proud of what you've done and want to put it on your website and they will hate it. And you, what's going on with that? And it's something to do with the dynamism of a, of a, of a natural smile. Mm. And people get to know that a lot. And... The feedback that they get from their friends and family is, "Are you are you taking the mick? Why are you why are you doing a sarcastic look on your face? Because okay. it looks it looks insincere. Because instead of that almost beaming elevation of the top lip and showing all the teeth, no matter and all the gum with it, there's mm. a, a it almost looks repressed okay. to people who know them well. Now I don't think that's a matter of um, the problem for people who don't know you well, but you should have that discussion with your patient because." Otherwise, they're expecting everyone to think they're more beautiful, and every time they smile, they go, "Why are you taking the mick out of me? Didn't you think that was funny?" Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> okay. So, so to, I guess to summarize the yeah to how to treat the gummy smile uh, more effectively, then would you suggest just using very low doses and maybe topping up if needed? Because what it's very difficult to know exactly where you're targeting, isn't it? Mm. Well, there is um, it is difficult. I mean, the, the thing that we do more often uh, in our practice is you, you use a dermal filler in some of those cases if there's volume loss there. Mm -hmm. So you can put a little bolus of dermal filler there. It does a similar job. You can yeah. also treat the top lip if they've got a small top lip, which seems to go quite often with gummy smile. Yeah. Um, so there are other ways that you can do it that are more instant results. You can see what you've done and you can adjust it. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with toxin. If, if you could see the result instantly, you just put a tiny drop more in until yeah. it was symmetrical, but you have to wait two weeks. Yeah. And then um, there's no higher layers or anything to reverse it once it's yeah. in as well. So that's why I, I think fill is a bit more predictable. So I would do that some of the time. And the other thing is just leave room for further adjustment. And that's where your small doses come in. Um, I've, okay. I've even heard people say as low as half a unit. Wow. Um, there is the law of small numbers, which means if you're putting half a unit in, you're probably more likely to get asymmetrical because it's very easy for for a small part of that to not hit the muscle. And then 50% hasn't done its job. Whereas if you're doing slightly larger units, in theory, you yeah, it's, it's the asymmetry will be less. Okay. 
Um, but it is tricky. It's, it's by its nature tricky. So accuracy, getting your anatomy right, treating symmetrically as much as you can, like angle of entry, depth of injection, um, the position on the face, obviously lateral, medial, make sure that's as accurate as possible, and that would decrease your chance of asymmetry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then, I mean, we also treat upper lip lines, which is the orbicularis um, oris muscle uh, with, with toxin as well. Have you had any side effects on this in your career? Um, I always tell people about the functional side of things. So, you know, you may have a problem with um, saying certain words, drinking from a straw. You know, if it's bad and you can't say the word pee um, mm -hmm. and you can't put purse your lips to, to, to use a straw, then that might be annoying for some people. I'll be honest with you, most people at that point say, I don't really ever, I don't care about drinking from a straw, I just want my lines to go. Mm. But the, the point is, from our point of view, you want them to look okay. You want them to look good, obviously, but then you're, but you, you, um, you want them to sign up to the potential downsides themselves rather than find out two weeks later they can't drink and they didn't, you didn't tell them. So that's just normal part of the consent process. Mm -hmm. But it's a whole different thing knowing it's a possibility and signing up to it and then not knowing and then discovering it later. Mm -hmm. um, the other one I heard is, is people struggling to get food out from uh, their buccal fossa. So that, you know you haven't got that movement of your orbicular asaurus or stuff they have to put a finger in and stuff like <laughs> right. that. It's not my favorite treatment. I don't really like toxin in the lower face that mm. much for that kind of reason i don't like blocking normal function yeah okay um and then dao would be the next one you think moving down yep so that's depressor anguli uh inferioris uh, which pulls the corners of the mouth down um i've i've seen one or two um, side effects on this where i think it's hit the dli so the depressor labia inferioris yep. and that has caused an asymmetrical smile um and yeah, I've had I've had a couple of people who've been quite upset from this, so it does make me I'm more nervous doing this now, and I've definitely changed my technique. Yeah, it's as I said before, it's an upsetting side effect. If yeah. your smile's asymmetrical, you can't be happy without people thinking something's wrong with you. Yeah. That's miserable. Um, so they don't smile, they hide their mouth. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not a nice side effect. So uh, yeah, and and I think that's pretty common actually. Um, I think it's partly because of two techniques I've seen taught on this. One is that you go deep on the bone. Um, quite lateral but there's an overlap there with the with the depressor labia yeah so if you're deep enough in theory you you might be okay but it basically that causes side effects much more the way i'm doing it currently is more halfway between the oral commissure and the angle on the chin and you can actually feel the potential space there if you can contract the muscle yourself there's a there's a space there where there is no muscle mm -hmm. or there might be a bit of um your resorius but mm -hmm. it's it's basically a little triangle that you can you can feel a space that you can um, and you should be injecting the muscle at that point because then the only muscle nearby at that point, if you get the, the right depth, is the D, the, the pressor angularis oris, and you're, you're further away from the from the DLI, which is medial. Yeah, the DLI is medial, and it, does it sit deeper than the DAO? Um, uh, my understanding was it was slightly deeper. The DLI is deeper. Yes, D, yes, right. So we stick slightly more superficial, and again, just using a very a very small dose. Yeah. Uh, mentalis uh, again recently had a, a side effect i have treated this many times but just unfortunately this last one a very unfortunate case it was a, a lady just before her 40th birthday um, and i think that had hit the dli as well my mentalis injection so again i've, I've adjusted my technique so the dli the mentalis has two bellies um coming up so i've traditionally was treating each individual one but I've now learned that we should be going centrally, really, for the mentalis injection. People may feel there are different ways of doing it, but... 
for, for me, the key thing is that you're inferior enough. I think it's quite easy to chase the, the little um, indentations the you yeah. get and go to too superior. Yeah. And then you're, then you're overlapping with the lower lip depressors. Yeah. I think that was the thing for me. I probably went slightly too superior and the dose was a little bit too high. So I've adjusted that now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's, uh, trying to, I was trying to get that across on the complications day as well, which is we, we all get these side effects. As long as you're feeding that information back into your practice, you're going to get safer and safer. There's, yeah. there's no, almost no option. As long as you understand the anatomy well and you understand what's gone wrong, you'll come up with a way of chipping away at that risk. Mm-hmm. And we never get risk to zero, but you'll make it safer. That's yeah. the right thing to do. And when it does happen to yourself, it sticks with you so, um, so concretely, doesn't it? Like emotionally, you remember how it made you feel. Because obviously we feel awful when these things happen to clients. So that's why I'm never going to forget you know these these particular side effects that I've caused, and yep. obviously adjust that. Well, there is that saying I say to particularly I like saying to people who are in a in a state over something like this is that this is partly what fe- what getting experienced feels like. Like mm. if you want to become a great practitioner, you you don't get there without unpleasant experiences. You just can't. Like there is no way other than to go through the the pain to yeah. do your best to make a you know find something that isn't optimal about your practice, experience the discomfort, and then and that makes you better so you almost don't want to miss it um you almost as long as you've got an answer to how you can be safer it should be a, a valuable experience yeah you're absolutely right okay um so the next one is on a slightly different theme from karen who has asked um i'm very interested in the idea that botox can help with emotional well-being and even depression do you know if there are any good reads in that subject please um i don't know there's a whole wealth of of stuff that relates how you're moving your body and how that makes you feel. Um, we we both like this uh, psychologist uh, Jordan Peterson. He talks sure about do. how um, uh, lobsters have similar uh, neurocircuitry to us um, in terms of their it's to do with um, dominance and behavior and mm-hmm. and their serotonin pathway. Um, if you give a lobster who's been defeated in a fight an antidepressant he will change how he holds his body and it's similar to it's akin to our shape so there's a defensive position where you're hunched over Mm -hmm. that's almost that's basically akin to depression you're hunched over you're defensive you feel less powerful and if you give someone an antidepressant and sorry not someone if you give a lobster an antidepressant they will they will open up again and basically be in in a more powerful they will more powerful situation and they go out and they they fight again instead of retreating yeah and so there's a relationship that relationship also works the other way in humans and you can do this experiment on yourself if you're feeling a bit crap on a particular day sit up straight um, you know bring your shoulders back even better if you raise your arms above your head that's well proven to change the neurocircuitry in your, in your brain you actually can drive these these um these neurotransmitters in the other direction and we all know it from a smile if you smile even if, you even if it's a fake smile you feel you get that feeling of happiness you do um, yeah so things and so it makes perfect sense to me that that also works in the other direction. That if you're frowning, um, and in fact I think I've felt it since thinking about this. If I'm, um, if you're frowning even at the sunlight, there's a sense of stress, and I think there's, I'm pretty sure that there's, it feels to me, and I, this I don't have the exact research on, but it feels to me that if you're frowning, you're in a more defensive state of mind. You're more likely to spot things that are a threat to you, which is essentially you're more likely to be negative. Mm-hmm. And if you're more likely to see the negative in life, then you're more likely to have recurring thoughts that make you feel disempowered and you become a shrunken back lobster. Okay. So um, 
Now, I don't know if you can solve all that problem with one area of Botox, but it does make perfect sense to me that it would be a connection. And I feel it myself. If I've had Botox in my glabella area, I feel more relaxed um, on certain days. I'm sure of it. I, I notice it. I might, might be looking for it, but um, I think there's a lot of evidence that the way you move your body affects how you feel. Um, and it's not just the other way around. So, yeah. so I do believe that's highly likely to have some truth to it. I don't know how powerful the effect is. It's certainly not going to be on the nice guidelines for depression anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's interesting. So we don't know exactly where the effect comes from on the emotional well-being, whether it is something to do with the neurotransmitters that Botox affects, or whether it is, like you say, whether the expressions are having an indirect effect on your thought process and that cycle. Yeah, um, it's almost it's beneath it's beneath beneath the level of the thoughts. It's at the stage of uh, of your emotions that then drive your thoughts. Yeah. So it's it just could put you in a defensive state. It's that lobster who's just been defeated, even mm -hmm. though you're just frowning at the sun. Yeah. You feel a bit more defeated, then you see more threat. Then mm -hmm. you you know, and there's a it's this ripple effect. So I, I do think it's interesting and possible. A client has just sprung to mind who I saw who wanted. Um, she has a very um, strong frown line, and um, she was always quite tearful. And when I sort of um, delved into this a bit more, it was because her father had a very deep frown line. Um, but her father used to abuse her as a child. So she said seeing that just used to affect her so much. So that wow. was her her real motivation to get rid of that. Um, it was really quite emotive listening to this story, really. Um, but that, she said, it, it, it changes my mindset so much to be able to look in the mirror and see um, that my, you know, my face has changed and I'm not that person I used to be that, that was abused as a child. Wow. So I guess that's the other side of things, isn't it? That it, it really can affect, um, if it's the appearance and what memories that you associate with that, that could definitely affect your emotional well-being. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, you know, I'm like with that kind of thing. I, I love the hidden layers of what's actually going on because everyone else, she'll probably have people in her life who think it's only a frown line. Why are you bothering getting that fixed? Well, there's a whole layer of complexity there that's invisible yeah. to everyone else except you, you've you managed to get it out of her in a consultation yeah. that makes everything make sense. And you then, you know, back to what we were talking about before we came on, it's not about vanity, is it? So I, I think it's, it's, it's probably deeper for, for most people than we realize. I mean, I, I sometimes do try to get it out of people, you know, why they, why are they having treatment, but not everyone is always in the right mind space to, to discuss it. But I think for, for most people, there probably is a story. There's a reason. Absolutely, and I and I actually don't think most people have necessarily articulated it to themselves. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share one of the things that I feel, which is, it's not on every day, but on a day you know kids are working up three times, you're a bit more of a negative state, and you see something that's changing about your face. And at no particular time do I have I ever felt there's something completely wrong with my face. But the deterioration, for me, I link it with death ultimately. <laughs> like it is mm. almost like. I feel my, my my power waning when I see a new grey hair coming. There are too many now to notice individual ones, but um, on a bad day, yeah. that represents death to me. Like that, I know that, I know that's almost ridiculous, because but it but it's not because it is. It's it's, it's part of the continuing. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason why our patients have treatment is to is to to main con maintain control of that as much as they can, because it's one way of of keeping the best years of their life, um, you know, keeping themselves in their prime. Yeah. So. 
but they don't come in and say doctor every time i, I see my a wrinkle i think about death and, the, and and our immortality and no one comes in and says that thing mm-hmm. but i think if you just spend long enough talking to them there's a percentage of people who it's related it's related to that kind of life and death mm-hmm. um so maintenance drive yeah. um it's different for different people there are other drives we can, i'm sure we'll talk about in different podcasts but that's definitely one of them which mm-hmm. you don't always get to but that was an interesting one that you had because that's around the meaning behind that line is that this part of her someone who she feared is part of her and she'd almost rather not have to face that every day yeah so i mean go back to karen's question I, I mean, I don't think either of us have read studies about this, so it would be interesting to, to maybe do a search about it. Yeah, there are there are little randomized, little oh. not randomized, there are little trials. They've got like 12 people in them, and oh. they, they treat them with Botox, and they ask, they do a um, one of these validated tests on depression, and there is an established difference. So there, there is small, very tiny um, little studies. Now, I don't know. The thing about that, if you do an intervention on someone like Botox, they're going to feel different because they start to think about different things mm-hmm. that's not quite the same as saying relaxing your muscle makes you less depressed so i don't know how you separate i think with a study of 12 people in it you're not going to get to any truth yeah so I, I don't think it's by any means proven i think there are bigger studies now i think i saw one that was more more in the range of hundreds but there are studies um so if you go on pubmed and you search for it there are definitely some studies that are more concrete uh, it's not just a, an opinion there mm-hmm. are some there is some evidence but it's not it's not that level of evidence where you're going to be getting onto the nice guidelines yeah and then trying to market that as uh, yeah. <laughs> antidepressant i think it's it'd be quite difficult because there's always going to be confounding factors as well huge loads yeah. of confounding factors mm. um, okay uh, i think we've probably got time just for one more question uh, i this is from jane i have a client who has botox with me but used to be treated elsewhere she had crow's feet done before coming to me but then noticed puffiness around her eyes for a few weeks after is this a reaction to botox she only has frontalis and glabella done with me, um, and then she's worried about having crow's feet um, in case it happens again. So puffiness around the eyes following crow's feet. Yeah, so this is um, one of those things that you could see quite simply, but it's also you can go into quite a lot of depth, which I, which we have recently done on the Botox Complications e-learning module. Mm-hmm. So you can go into all the different things that can cause this, but the long and short of it is for most people this picture where you get puffiness that peaks around four or five days in and then subsides within a month that's probably due to lymphatic drainage and so the treatment is to reduce the the amount of botox that you put in so Mm -hmm. that there's i think one of the thinking about this in detail i think one of the key things is when you close your eyes at night that that's an important part of the day where the pressure is balanced by that muscle and the lymphatics Mm -hmm. and the rate that they drain and if you're if when your eyes are closed, you've got no tension there, you're spending all night lying horizontal, you're going to have re- redistribution of body fluid, which happens anyway, and less pressure there. And you just get the slight accumulation over eight hours of just slightly less fluid dra- draining and you wake up with puffiness. Um, but it is as simple as just there's not there's just a drop in pressure in that area. And I think what happens if you, you can either put less in, but also the lymphatics, there, there must be something around the lymphatics adjusting their rate of drainage you'd imagine that they would if there was more fluid around i don't know how that works mm-hmm. um so if every smile as well is not quite as strong the contraction is not quite as strong then possibly that's affecting yeah so there's the active contraction is less and there's resting tone that's less okay. and i think at night when your eyes are when your eyes are closed um you should watch watch your <laughs> i know it's creepy but watch your wife while she's sleeping <laughs> oh i do <laughs> i already do <laughs> and uh, and so you'll see sometimes there's, there's quite a lot of activity around orbicularis oculi and yeah. i noticed also with my wife that if, you, if she was stressed it was quite an intense contraction and uh, and people often report that that when you when you 
going through a load of stress when mm. you wake up you look worse and you're seeing frown lines and lines on your eyes and, and your eyebrows are pulled down yeah. because you spent the whole night with this intense um kind of stressful type of sleep um, and yeah. but i think that's related to why you might drop lymphatic the rate of fluid draining just that there's more space for it to accumulate so decrease the dose put less in inferiorly mm-hmm. um and you and that's usually enough to make a difference but there are some people who can't tolerate it and you need to not treat that area when you say they can't tolerate just purely because of the same reason but the even lowering the dose won't make enough yeah, of a difference that's right yeah, yeah. okay um, there are other things like if possible you're allergic to it there are people who get you know the same sort of thing from one area in the glabella and it seems to last you know for a week and then it goes that fits more with the reaction to me okay. with something that they're reacting particularly if there's itchiness yeah um if there's bruising sometimes that's just inflammation that's adding to it Okay, I think we should probably wrap up for today. We still have a few questions left, which we could cover next time. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Um, is there anything else we needed to discuss, Tim? Did we mention why there's a bottle of wine on, this, on the... Uh... <laughs> it's because you're an alcoholic, isn't it? Well, you've had a stressful weekend. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you one more thing. When patients give you a bottle of wine, because this is your bottle of wine from a patient. Correct. Um, and uh, I'm always interested in that. What the pa- most patients have paid already. Why would they then give you a gift? Um, what do you think you've done to earn the gift when someone's already paid for a treatment? Because it does happen, you know, fairly regularly someone gets a gift. He wants a discount next time. Could be. That's the cynical answer. Uh, instinctively, it's something to do with, uh, well, I don't know, two sides of it. One is that they may just genuinely want him to, be sh- to, to show gratitude. But secondly, they may think, actually, this guy's good. I want to keep on the, on the right side of him. I want to be treated like a special client. I don't really know. Yeah. I, th- I think this, you must have done something exceeding the contract that they were expecting. So the, the gratitude element is that, that okay. there's, there's a way that you can deliver a treatment where you feel like I've got exactly what I paid for. And there's a way that you can deliver a treatment where you think, you know what? He put a lot of stuff into that process that he didn't have to. And I appreciate that. I think there's something around that you can sense when someone's going above and beyond. It's not mm. necessarily that they they're physically doing more work, but you can tell within their, their way that they discuss things with you that they actually they actually want you to get a good result. So it can be around that tenacity of getting to the real reason that they're there and then coming up with extra solutions that will give them exactly what they want. Yeah. But there's all sorts of things that you can do that you're not paid for that, that patients pick up when you're, when you're doing it for the right reason and then they often want to recognize that. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's about the difference you make. That, so it's not always around that. You might just they may just exceed their expectations about what difference it would make to their life, and they want to recognise that. But mm-hmm. it's a nice thing. So I'm going to go back and analyse um, my consultation now and see what it was. See if I can figure it out. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's open this. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>